You know, it's, it's uh, said you can always tell a mom at the table when there's a pie and it has four pieces left and there are five people at the table. The mom's the one who says, I, I, I really have never cared for pie. Because <laughs> she's the one that realizes that what one of her roles in life is, is to serve and to be faithful at it. And that's what we're going to study today. We're going to look at another parable this week in Matthew 25, the same chapter we were in last week. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to look at the next parable, often called the parable of the talents. We're going to call it, for the sake of this series, faithful. What it really means to be faithful. Now remember, parables are stories with a deeper meaning. So as we're studying this this morning, realize the story isn't about the story. The story has a deeper meaning. So we're going to look at Matthew 25. And if you'll uh, take your insert out of your worship folder, both on this campus and at the Whitehall campus, you uh, can follow along as I read Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. We're going to read through verse 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to another according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent and came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his mas master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just an uplifting, happy kind of parable. <laughs> well, let's look into this and figure out what Jesus is, is saying to us today. This passage immediately follows, as I said, the passage that Pastor Steve uh, shared with us last weekend. And of course, in the original, there are not the subtitles that, that we see here. So yours may say what mine does, the parable of the talents. That wouldn't have been there. So this follows verse 13. Let's see what happens when we read from verse 13 into 14. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, for it will be like a man going 
on a journey, and it continues. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The hour of what? The hour of the Lord's return. Just like last week's parable, this is a second parable talking about the return of Christ. So like the virgins who were to watch for the groom's return, we'll see that the servants in this parable are to work in anticipation of their master's return. The virgins were to watch for the return of the bridegroom. These servants are to work in anticipation of the return of the master. And no one knows the day or the hour. We see later in the passage it says that after a long period of time, the master returned. So let's go back and look at what this means, this idea of the kingdom of Christ. It will be like, see where it says that in verse 14? It will be like it, the kingdom, the place where God has dominion in Christ, his arena. Now the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we're finding out also we can call this the kingship of Christ. There has two aspects, two sides that we have to understand in order to accurately interpret this passage. So it has two ideas. The first is there is an exclusive, genuine, converted, invisible, internal body of true redeemed believers. The kingdom. Verse 34 of this same chapter says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This exclusive group of real, true, redeemed Christ followers, those who have bowed their knee to Christ and have received the Holy Spirit. They are the ones on the right. Now, what, does impl- what is implied there? He says to s- this group on the right, what else is there? A group on the left, right? This exclusive group of true believers. Then there is a second meaning of this idea of the kingdom, that the, there is a visible outward made up of those that identify themselves with Christ, real or not, okay? There's this visibleness, like the soils. Remember the soils a few weeks ago? Some was good and some was bad, right? But there is an organizational visible sense of this word too. The virgins of last week, these bridesmaids, if you will, there were five true bridesmaids, five were real and five false. There were five bridesmaids who the groom said, I don't know who you are. And we're kept out of the wedding. So this parable does the same thing. Well, we see this idea of the kingdom with these two aspects. We also see this in the church. The same aspects as the kingdom. Each local church is a microcosm, if you will, of the kingdom of God. So within the church, within this specific local church, there are the redeemed. Those who truly know Jesus. Those who have come into a life-transforming relationship with him. Who have bowed their knee to Jesus and who truly have the Holy Spirit within them, working through them. But there is also another group of people in this church, sitting in this room, and that is the unredeemed. Those who do not truly know Christ, those who are no more a Christian because you're sitting here this morning than you'd be a car if you pulled into a garage. Okay? It doesn't make you a Christian. Not all of us are Christians, not all of us are believers, not all of us have come to that place where we bowed our knee to Christ, Not all of us have come to that place where the Holy Spirit has entered in and works through us. We are all represented in, both these are represented in this room today. We'd still say this is the church. This is part of the kingdom. There is true and there is false. There are sheep and there are goats. There are bad soils and good soils. There are the real bridesmaids and the fakes. And today we'll see that there are two kinds of servants. 
We see this again in a, in a parable that we're not going to look at in this series in Matthew 13. And it's a story about weeds growing up in the same place, the same space as wheat is growing. And the question comes up, shouldn't we pull out the weeds now so that the wheat can grow? And Jesus says this in verse 30 of Matthew 13. And if you're a studier on these things, I'd encourage you to read this passage. Jesus says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, listen carefully, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. See what's happening? Two kinds of people growing in the same space. Jesus says, just hang on, judgment day is coming. The weeds will be pulled, they'll be bundled together and thrown into the fire. But the wheat, the real crop, that which I'm growing, is going to be brought into my barns, into my place. Well, he says these are his servants, so he knows them. The master brought his servants to him, he knows them, they identify with him. Now remember, there was a servant who would have done this with Jesus too, right? Judas was this one. He would have identified with Christ, so let's keep that in mind. The word servant here is doulos. It's more than just a slave. These are servants and stewards that handled the master's goods and businesses. Okay, that's what they did for him. All right, so with that set up, let's look at the responsibility that's given to these servants in verse 15. So, famous passage, he hands five to one servant, five talents, two talents to another, and one to another, and then he went away. Now, quiz here, see how well we're getting these parables. The master here represents Jesus. He's the master. He portions out what he believes that each of these servants can handle. Now, a talent is a weight, and the value would depend on whether it was gold or silver or copper, it was probably silver, this is, uh, commentators believe, in verse 18, the word money is used here, and that was a common use of silver in that day, was his coinage. So, the master is saying, take this and invest it for a return. Be good, be faithful with this. Now you say, well, but he doesn't tell them to go invest it. No, because it's understood that's what these servants did. Okay? They were stewards of the master's businesses, so he gives them these. They would have known immediately what he wants them to do. This was their job. This is what they did. They invested in his property and his goods, okay? So he tells them, here's these five for you, here's two for you, here's one for you. We'll call them five-talent guy, two-talent guy, and one-talent guy, okay? Says he gave to each according to their ability. It determined what each received, their abilities. The master knew them well enough. The master's the Lord. He knew them well enough He's going on this journey because this is Jesus. We know that journey is to heaven, preparing a place for his children, for his servants. And we are left, as these servants were, in management. We're to be serving and stewarding while he's away. And just like these servants in the church, there are those of us who have different capacities. The range is vast. We have differing educations. We've been mentored in different ways, discipled in many different ways. We have different learning capacities and mental capacities and emotional capacities. Guess what? It's okay to be what God has designed you to be. It is okay to be what God has designed you to be. This is a picture of spiritual capacity and opportunity and responsibility. And he's given to each one of us differently. This isn't a matter of sameness. This is a matter of he's given to each of us that which he wants us to invest in the kingdom, and our goal is to simply invest that that he has given us. 
our attitude and focus should be this. This is my chance. This is my chance to show the master how much I love him and live up to what he believes about me. We talk a lot here at New Life about the importance of understanding our identity, our identity in Christ. Where does that come from? What Jesus says about you is the most important thing that you need to know. Of who he says you are. Because see, then you can invest these things that he's given you. And you have a chance to show the master that you love him and you believe what he says about you. I'd say we all ought to believe, believe what Jesus says about us. And then we take what he's given us and we use it. So the question becomes, just like these guys that were given talents in a bag, probably, maybe wheelbarrows, we don't know how much talent, that part doesn't really matter. What's in your bag? That's close to a commercial, isn't it? That was one of the first ones they, put, they rolled out, but they didn't like it. You see, what's in our bag? What, we have to use the capacity to return back to him the maximum we can from that opportunity. This isn't about gaining salvation. This is those of us who have that salvation are giving back to the kingdom out of a love for the one who gave it to us. You see, here in the U.S., and might I even say in this church, we have a heavy bag. You see, we have many ways to grow and thrive. We live in a country where there are opportunities and advantages that no one else on earth has. We probably waste more than most people use in their lives. And we're here in a church, and we can, I can, we can brag a little bit. You get good teaching, and you get opportunities to serve, challenges to be generous, the opportunity to do love works in other people's lives, the opportunity to grow. We have a heavy bag. The question is, what are we doing with it? And the difference is a God-given difference. He has designed each one of us differently. He doesn't want you to be frustrated with too much or too little. You see, he just wants us to be satisfied with what we have and use it and invest it in the kingdom. There are different results, not because of us, but because God's work in us is all different. You see, God's sovereign choice has worked in each of our lives. His choice for our gifts, for our talents, for our abilities, for our understanding. It's the same sovereignty that calls men and women to himself. That same sovereignty makes this choice and gives to every one of us as he deems brings him the most glory. And we have to be satisfied with that. You know, he doesn't say, and to the servant that's really cool that I like the most, I'm going to give five. You, you're okay, here's two. You, not so much, here's one. That's not in the passage, is it? No, he gives to the servants based upon what he believes they can do and what their abilities are with what he's given them. So we see these responsibilities given, and then we receive this response by these servants lived out in verses 16 through 18. There are two kinds of servants we meet. Both of these kinds of servants would identify themselves as servants of the Lord, but they, as we will find out, they're true and false servants here. We almost realize that in every local church are people who do not really walk with God. You see, in this room this morning, we have those who truly walk with Jesus and those who don't. 
the gospel is proclaimed, the call for service and generosity is put out there. But like the soils, in some of us it never takes root. It is ignored. It is choked out by the economy or greed or selfishness or even mere ambivalence. Also in the church, there are different kinds of servants. There's diversity. There will always be false and true. There will always be those with high capacity and those with a lesser capacity, not in quantity necessarily, but just in abilities that God has given us. At times, there will be people in the church sitting in this place on any given Saturday or Sunday over the weekend that will look good on the outside, but the internal does not match. And we know people like this, maybe you're one of these, that you're seeking to create an outward persona that doesn't match what's really going on on the inside. The story is told of a man who started a business and he got his office all set up and got himself an impressive big desk to put in, opens the office for the first time, he's sitting at the desk, someone walks in the office, the man in order to be impressive picks up his phone and says, well yes Mr. President. Well, I'm sure we'll be able to handle that order. That'll be absolutely no problem. He takes the next couple minutes talking to the president just so the person who'd walked in can be impressed, thinking I've come to a, this must be an awesome company. What an awesome guy. Well, Mr. President, it's been good talking to you. We'll get right back to you as all this is coming together. And he hangs up the phone and turns to the man and says, what can I do to help you today? He says, what? Well, don't really need any help, I'm just here to hook up the phone. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> There's kind of this wave, some of you will get that, <laughs> that moves toward the... Some people would have us believe that they have a connection with God, but the phone is not hooked up. You see, there are those virgins whose lamps seem ready, but they are empty. There are those soils that seem to flourish for a little while, but in reality, there's no depth. The Holy Spirit has not overtaken the heart. So we see the difference in these servants. The question becomes, what is done with the responsibility did we give back to God when given the chance, the maximum return on his investment? The focus is on faithfulness, not results. Faithfulness with what he has given us. It says the first servant at once or immediately began to invest and began to work. Well, this is the true fruit of salvation. This is what we ought to honestly be seeing in us all the time, is that, that attitude of, think of a new believer, Look what Jesus has done for me. He's changed my life. I've got to get going. I've got to tell people I've got to go do this and I've got to do that. And guess what? A year later, all us old fogies have made them discouraged because they don't keep serving that way. But look at this. At once, he took what the master had given him. He kept working it. He traded it. He worked it. He engaged in business. And it says he what? He made, he made a profit. He doubled his master's money. He made the most of every opportunity. This was the case for the one with five talents and the one with two. See, they were faithful to maximize their opportunity. They were faithful to give back to God a full return for the gift that they'd been given. There was wholehearted service here. 
by two of these servants. See how it, doesn't, it didn't matter whether they had five or two? They both invested the same way. They did the same thing with what they'd been given. But then it says the third servant hid his. It says he dug a hole and he buried it. Now the version these days would be, I got a Maxwell House coffee can, put all my savings in it, and put it under my mattress. He does nothing with it. He wastes the opportunity. Now, this does not imply that the one talent guy blew his, you know, all one talent guys blow their chance. It's not what it means. It could have easily been, and the guy with five talents buried his five talents in the ground and came back with exactly the same thing. It's just part of the story. It, it has nothing to do with the all one talent people are going to blow it. It is saying that whatever you've been given, you have a responsibility for it. Give God back a return, even if it is only small. Do something with it. Some people sit in church and are never even believers. Others sit here each week. You sit here each week and you have gifts, you have things that God has given to you, and you never use them. For the sake of the body, for the sake of the kingdom, not inside the walls, not outside the walls, you are content to come and sit and listen to somebody be mean to you. Not on purpose. No, yes, on purpose, but I don't want to be mean. You see, with this servant, nothing was done. Nothing was done. He did nothing. The only effort he made was to bury the talent. He was given privilege, yet he does nothing with it. This is the person he's heard the gospel and not responded. You see, he had actually, he was the one with the high level of, we'll call it excusability, right? He just had one. But he was still responsible for what he was, had heard and been exposed to. The opportunity was wasted. So we see these two kinds of servants. But judgment is coming. And in verse 19 through 27, judgment is rendered. Because what happens? <laughs> the master comes back. And distinctions are made when I come, says Jesus. All of us have to be ready. Remember verse 13? No one knows when this is going to happen. It's time to settle. It's time to check the books. God will see what we have done with our spiritual privileges. It's time to compare accounts, not with each other, but to compare what we have now, what we bring to the kingdom, what we have invested in and gained for the kingdom as opposed to what we started with. It is judgment time. Time to evaluate services rendered. Five talent guy comes up and says, well done. And he faces this judgment. Interestingly, you get the sense there's this joy and excitement about being able to say, oh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve. Look what, look what I've got. I had five, you gave me five and now I've got ten. 1 John 4, 17 says that we can come with boldness in the day of judgment. This is what it's talking about. Is when judgment day comes, we can come to it with boldness and joy because we know we have invested in the kingdom well. We've taken all the blessings of what God has given us and we've used them wisely for the sake of the kingdom. There should be great anticipation. He knew the source of everything was God. And behold, five more. The master's response, excellent genuinely good and he comments on the servant's service and his character well done good and faithful servant and then he's given more 
because of his trustworthiness. Now, we're not going to talk about this today because it's a long subject, but fascinating, is that what we do in heaven, we see in Scripture, that what we will be doing in heaven is determined by our service here. Because heaven is a time of service and privilege. Rewards that are given the believer will be given greater opportunities for service in heaven. This is what's going to make heaven awesome. See, heaven's not going to be sitting on a little cloud playing some instrument that we not only don't know how to play, but we don't really want to hear. And, and for some of you, I know, it, you know, you're, you're maybe thinking, worship, a worship service forever? Are, honey, are they going to sing this chorus one more time? We've been at this three million years now. (laughs) It's not how it's going to be. What's going to make heaven awesome is that we're going to get assignments and be able to serve. Can you imagine if every effort you made went perfectly? That's what heaven will be. Well, the guy with two talents, two-talent guy comes up, same thing, well done. He gets a full return. These are true believers genuine servants the same thing happens and they're told enter into the joy of the lord you see there's a commendation from the lord they receive greater service capacity and then they are given entrance into the joy of the lord himself what does this mean the joy enter into the joy of the lord i believe it means that we are going to be there's this opportunity for us to be as joyful as he is joyful as satisfied as he is as knowing as he is knowing sin is destroyed death is conquered Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the master says, enter into this joy. Well, then what happens? The story goes south. One talent guy comes up, and he gives back the talent. Here's your talent. And he's called wicked and slothful or lazy. The anger that is expressed by the master is because of wasted opportunity. See, there was equal responsibility. Okay? There was not necessarily an equality of what was given to the the servants, but there was equal responsibility. Even the one with limited opportunity is responsible for that privilege. So there's this distinguishing mark. Two servants used their opportunity and proved the genuineness of their salvation. They were willing to spend their time in service of of the master. The other said he belonged to the master, but he didn't. Let me challenge you with this thought. Be sure that though you are outwardly associated with the kingdom, that you are inwardly belonging to the kingdom. Be sure that while you are outwardly associated with the kingdom or with the church, that you are inwardly belonging to the kingdom. You see, where there is capacity and privilege given, there is accountability. Look what happens in verse 24. He professes to believe. He says he's a good steward, but he produced nothing. He's revealed as a non-believer because of his lack. And he lashed out at his master, so he's revealed as a non-believer because of his attack. 
First, he comes with nothing else to offer, and then he attacks the master. He doesn't love and respect the master. Now, he might not be anti-God. He doesn't waste the talent. He just does nothing with it. He simply wasted opportunity. There was no fruit. And then he says this, that the master is hard. And the word in the Greek means that this is, this is almost a hardening of internal organs, okay? He's internally hard. He's unbending, had no compassion. He was too tough. He had no sensitivity. Is that the master that we know? You see, is that the Lord that the two faithful servants knew? You see, this, this servant was functioning out of fear. He's thinking, I can't cut the standard, you ask. Religion is too hard. He even goes as far as to accuse the master of stealing someone else's crop, reaping where you didn't sow. Is this the Lord that we know? Is this the Jesus that we know? You see, his words reveal the reality of who he is. He didn't even know his master. You see, he, the master's not getting glory through him. You see, that would be worship. He's blind to the truth about the Lord. He attacks God and proves that he doesn't know Jesus. When it comes down to it, unbelievers will reveal that they do not know a loving, giving, sacrificing God. And he says, here, you have what's yours. And Jesus says, you are wicked and lazy. Once again, just like he did with the other two, he comments on their character and their competence. See, he, Jesus is saying, you knew the truth. You know, you know the nature of your master. You wouldn't give up your own selfishness and fear in order to serve me. You've chosen evil. I've found as a pastor over many years that laziness and wickedness always go together. Think of it. Sin comes often because we are spiritually lazy. So in verse 26, Jesus proves that he enjoyed sarcasm, and I like that about Jesus. He says, so, so, so you know this? This is, this is what you know about me? See, you have to read that as sarcasm. He's not stating that this is true. He's saying, you, you knew this, did you? You, you knew that I was reaping where I didn't sow and that I was stealing other people's crops. And Okay, fine. If that's what I am, then why didn't you give the, mon the money that I'd given you to a banker so that you could have gotten me at least some interest on it? You are lying. You went on with your evil, lazy lifestyle. You have no excuse. Even if what you're saying would be true, you couldn't have even invested in a bank and get a couple percentage interest points here you see servants who understand his grace and mercy will always come out that'll always come out of us in compassion and service and generosity so judgment has come and now in verses 28 through 30 it's time for rewards time for rewards verse 28 one day the privilege of service that was offered to the sham believer will be given to the true believer. The chance to know Jesus will end and judgment will come. See, the true and real believers are given more. More responsibility. The false and untrue 
that what they appear to have is going to be taken away. You put on a show here, Jesus says, it's all going to be revealed. There'll be no chance to make up for it. More opportunity, more capacity, more privilege is given to true believers. And then in verse 30, the unbeliever, this is sobering, the servant who is given the opportunity to grab hold of the gospel and believe it and give his life to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit will be cast into hell. His true heart is revealed and he is cast out and torment is his eternity. So what is Jesus saying to us? Well, I believe two things that I want to point out. One, we are to be looking and serving looking and serving. We saw in the virgins last week, we're to be looking, right? We're to be watching for his coming. This parable this week, we're to be serving. James 2 talks about this, works alone, faith alone, they won't work. Faith without works is what? Dead. Proverbs 10, 5, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. We need to be ready in constant readiness. These two parables, the virgins and the talents, have the same message. Be ready. Be looking and be serving. Remember the link? Watch for that waiting and longing for the coming of the Lord. Between 13 and 14, wait and long for it. Use your talents to be working, to be serving, living in anticipation by watching and working. We need to make the most of the opportunities that God has graciously given us. When one is lost, we're out of balance. We must be looking and serving. F.B. Meyer, a Baptist preacher and evangelist who lived from 1847 to 1929, had this prayer as his life's motto. Make the most of me that can be made for thy glory. Make the most of me that can be made for thy glory. God must make the most of us. But we must make the most of what he has given us. The Apostle Paul stresses this very same thing in Philippians 2 when he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So let's be looking and serving. And second, we can only work out what God has worked in. We can only work out what God has worked in. See, if you are sitting here today and you don't truly know Jesus, you can't work out what has not already been worked in you. Jesus has this working out in mind in this parable. And he asks us to examine ourselves. He teaches that we must make the most of opportunities and responsibilities and gifts that the Lord has given us. We must be looking and serving. And we can't work out what has not yet been worked in. Now I want to do a little closed circuit here for just a, a couple minutes for moms today. The rest of you can listen in. Maybe you'll learn something too. Moms, what's in your bag? Just yours not somebody else's not the woman down the street with better kids and a better husband and 
a better house and more money, more opportunities or a better education. Why compare? In this passage, in this, in this parable, there's no comparison, is there? Never does, does the master compare the servants to each other. Why concern yourself with others' advantages and privileges? Why worry about what you don't have? Why focus on your situation rather than the Lord of the situation? What's in your hand? That's all Jesus asked for. What's in your hand? Let me give you a couple examples. Moses. That's Charlton Heston. We'll call him Moses, okay? When I picture Moses, I picture Charlton Heston. Actually, when I picture Moses, I picture my Moses action figure <laughs> with ninja grip on his, on his staff and the Ten Commandments. There's no point. I just wanted to show you my Moses action figure. <laughs> Moses couldn't speak well, right? He says to God, I, 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 can't speak. On top of that, he was a murderer. He was someone who'd been raised in the luxury by those who had had Israel in slavery. And yet in chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And he delivered a nation from captivity, a nation that would bring forth a savior. Just what's in your hand? Moses had a rod. What about Rahab? She had a good story going for her. She was a prostitute. We read about her in Joshua chapter 2. You know what she had? She had a house with a window on a city wall. And she protected the people of Israel and took a place in the lineage that would bring forth a savior. Moses had a rod. All Rahab had was a window. Susanna Wesley, she lived from 1669 to 1742. She had 17 children. She was a pastor's wife. She was known as strong-willed, <laughs> probably if you had 17 children. She suffered great tragedy in her life, including the death of one of her children. But she mothered Charles and John Wesley, who impacted the progress of the gospel in Britain and the U.S. These two sons would be instrumental in the foundation of what would become the Methodist Church. Seventeen kids. You could say, well, what did she have? Well, she had kids and noise and bedlam. But here's what else she had. The story is told that her, and her children knew this is how it worked. Susanna Wesley was also known as a woman of God who had her time with God every day. She studied the word and spent time with God every day. And this is how she did it. She would sit in front of her fire, and the kids knew. Mm -mm, no bothering mom during this. Susanna Wesley would pull her dress up over her head and have her quiet time. Kids, when your mom has her dress up over her head... Moses had a rod, Rahab had a window, Susanna Wesley had a dress. 
when I was in college, they would bring speakers in, and one of them, one of my favorites was a man named David Ring. And David Ring is an evangelist. He, had cere- he has cerebral palsy. And it didn't matter what he was speaking on, he would always say this. He said, he would say, I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? See, he's an evangelist who shares the gospel with thousands upon thousands of people to this very day. What, did da- what does David Ring have? He has a voice. It's not the greatest. He's hard to understand, but it makes you listen more. He had a voice. And then we can't leave out Mary, who was a teenage girl shamed by a pregnancy outside of marriage. But in Luke 1, it says, Blessed are you among women. And she gave birth to our Savior. Moms, everybody else, what's in your hand? Are you looking and serving? Christian, if you're a Christ and you're a Christ follower, are both these things evident in your life? Are you looking and not serving? Are you serving and not looking? Maybe you're not a true Christ follower here today. Not yet a believer. Remember, just because you sat here, judgment day is coming. The question will be, what'd you do with Jesus? You can only work out what God has worked in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray for Christians here today that you would challenge us to use the things that you have given us, the blessings that you have put in our lives, whatever they may be. God, may we use them to serve you and serve the body and build the kingdom and not sit back and let somebody else do it. Father, our resources are yours. Our money is yours, our gifts are yours, our abilities are yours, our availability is yours. God, may there be Christians here today who recommit to this. Father, for those who maybe have sat here for years and years, or this is the first time, who don't know you, may this be the day that you draw them to yourself, the day of their salvation. Bring people to yourself as you work in them. God, may their desire be to serve you.